we doing today? All right, all right, hey. Awesome. I want to greet our uh, people joining us right now, our campuses that are joining us. Good morning, OTC, Old Town Campus. Good morning to Larry Street, Pastor Brandon and that crew out there. Good morning to Selma. Good morning in Novato. Um, good morning to our online service. We're glad you guys are with us, whether you're down the street or around the world. We're just stoked you're here. So uh, we're going to get into this. We have some good stuff going on. Um, here at our North Campus, I don't know if you guys know that this is called the North Campus. You guys are Norteños. Tulare Street's throwing stuff at me right now. They're like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, at the North Campus, we actually had, uh, and I love this, um, uh, Cameron, who's the worship leader at the Old Town Campus, he led worship for us today, so right, he did a great job. It was awesome. And I love seeing that interchange because we really are, we're many congregations, but we're one church. Um, next Saturday, I'm going to be in Novato next Saturday teaching an evangelism seminar up there. Like, there's a lot of interchange. I was talking to my wife, and she said at the IF gathering, there were women from all the different campuses that showed up. I think the Selma campus had two whole tables at it. And it's um, this morning at 9 o'clock, I saw a family coming in I hadn't seen in a long time. They're like, oh, yeah, we've been going to Old Town for the last couple years, and oh, this is my mom. And I go, well, what are you doing slumming it at North? And they're like, oh, we're going to go in the gospel hour service. We want to check that one. Like just a lot of great interchange because we really are one church. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So um, I want to tell you, we're, we're mixing it all up right now. Um, tonight, we have a 6 o'clock service. Those of you that didn't know that. Tonight, we have a special one. Um, actually, uh, Marlena wasn't leading today because her and my three kids and some of the youth team are up at Sugar Pine leading worship at that camp up there. But she's coming down this afternoon, and at the Sunday night service, we're going to swap. She's going to preach the message tonight, and I'm going to lead worship. So truth of the matter is, probably be a better message and worse worship. So um, that's how that's going to go. So you can come to that. It's at 6 o'clock in the venue. Uh, all kinds of good stuff. Today after church, if you can find it, uh, we, uh, we have our missionaries from Japan here, Richard and Mickey Lee, and they're going to talk about what God's doing there. It's a Friends of Japan meeting in room 207. And then one more thing, I just, before I get into to God's word, like it's just really fun what God's doing here right now. And um, last service, you know, sometimes you preach and you're like, well, it's all right. Um, and then sometimes you're like, oh, I got them. And the funniest part is when I think I've got them, like usually no one receives Christ that day. And the ones where I'm like, mm, that's when God moves. And we had somewhere between 12 and 20 people come forward last service. It was bonkers. It was amazing and received the Lord. Um, the church was screaming for them and cheering them on. And um, after church, someone grabbed me and they said, Pastor, one of those people you hugged when they came to accept Christ. That was my one. That was my one. I had been, if you don't know what that is, um, we're going to start it up, right? We, we have a thing we say, we, an axiom, who's your one, right? E Easter is coming. And that person had been praying for their one and wanted to invite them to Easter. Because, you know, Easter and Christmas are like one of the two Sundays, like people that don't go to church might consider going. So they've been praying for that person um, last year for about a month out, and then they worked up the courage, and we'll have like a little gift bag you can give to people to invite to church. And they worked up the courage to invite that person to church, and they're like, oh, thanks, no. Um, and they didn't come. But they just kept praying for them. And um, almost a year later, 
guess what? They showed up at church with them and they came forward and accepted Christ. And th- that's how it works. So I tell you that for this reason. All the campuses, I want you to know this. Um, we're going to begin that. I want you to start thinking of who's that one person that you know that a relationship with Christ would make an incredible difference in their life. Let's, make, let's be honest. It'll make an eternal difference in their life. And start praying for them. And if you don't have that one person, then here's your prayer right now. God, who is it? Who should I be praying for? And uh, just pray that every day. Who should I be praying for? When you're in your car, wherever you're going, just ask. Just keep asking the Lord. And uh, I bet you he'll tell you. And then you start praying for that person. And in a couple weeks, you work up the courage. We're gonna give out some invites and invite bags for people to give to Easter. Work up the courage. Start praying for them. Invite them to church to see what happens. Um, it doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes you put a seed in the ground and it takes a while for it to grow. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, so we're week three of Joseph right now. We're going through the story. If you don't know what the story is, um, it's a 31-week adventure we're going on. We're going to go over the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible, so that the Bible makes sense to you, and it's not a group of isolated stories that make very little sense, but I want you to see that all of these stories make a bigger story, and we have a book called The Story. It's an abridged version of the Bible to kind of help you understand the narrative arc of it, and um, I always find I underestimate you guys, the church, all the time. I think we initially ordered 500 of those books thinking like, well, you know, not everyone's a reader. Not everyone's going to do this, whatever. 1,700 books later, here we are today, okay? So a lot of people buy, buying into this. So to, to last, um, the last three weeks, we've talked about it starts with creation, right? That God created the heavens and the earth, right? He creates man, he creates woman, he creates them in his image, right? And then we sin and we break creation, And now we're broken from our creator. Our relationship to our creator is broken. That's week one. Then week two, Pastor Scott, brilliantly last week, he talked about how God was going to make a special people for, to reveal to the world who he was. And they would come from one guy named Abraham. And God would make a covenant with Abraham. And a covenant is something God made the covenant. Abraham didn't because God knew Abraham would break it because he's a broken human like you and me. But God makes a covenant and says, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. From you, the Savior of the world will come. I mean, this is all coming from that covenant, right? And then brilliantly, Scott has us do communion because he wants us to see how every story in the scripture is about Jesus. It all ties to Jesus. They're all a shadow of the great story of Jesus, right? So we take communion because at communion, Jesus holds up the cup of wine and he says, this is the blood of my new covenant. It's a new covenant I'm making. And he makes it on the cross for us. He doesn't make you make it because he knew you and I wouldn't, we'd screw it up and we'd fail. But he makes it on the cross. And we took communion. That was week two. God made a people. So Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's keep marching on, right? Let's praise the Lord, okay? So he ends up having a child named Isaac. Isaac has a a son named Jacob. Jacob um, has this... He, he's, he's a liar. Um, he's kind of messed up. But he has a moment with God. And he kind of turns over a new leaf. And God gives him a new name. 
He gives him the name Israel. Okay? So whenever you see in the Bible, Jacob and Israel, they're, they're very synonymous. And Israel, or Jacob, ends up having 12 sons. Right? 12 sons. And those are what we find later in Scripture, the 12 tribes of Israel. They come from those 12 sons, right? And they, they were all, all different. And um, he had a son we're going to talk about today named Joseph. And Joseph was dad's favorite. How many of you, show of hands, campuses too, how many of you were your parents' favorite child? Yeah. When, I, uh, when my kids were little, before bed, I would crawl into bed with them, and I'd read them the Bible every night, and then we would, I would pray with them, and then I'd say goodnight, and I'd give them a hug, and I'd kiss them, and I'd just whisper in their ear, you are daddy's favorite. <laughs> Don't tell your brothers and sisters. Yes. Right? They're not here. They're all up at Sugar Pine, so they don't know that, but um, <laughs> I stole that from my friend Brian. But Joseph was the favorite. And it was clear that he was. In, in, in Genesis, you find um, Joseph is the second youngest. And for um, what you have to understand about that day, like polygamy was the cultural norm. Everyone did polygamy back then. Okay? And um, believe it or not, in the scriptures, it's the only place in written history um, where you find polygamy actually is being undone in the scriptures. Because every time you find polygamy in the Bible, you find nothing but relational chaos. And the families are in a disarray, and it, it, right? God had designed it in Genesis, one man, one woman, and then humans said, nah, how about one man, five women? How about this? How about that? We wanted to do it our own way, right? And what happens is when we do it our own way, it creates chaos in our life. And so um, Israel, Jacob, had multiple, multiple wives, and his sons came from these multiple wives. And what you found was they were all pitting against each other. They're all kind of fighting over an inheritance. There's all of this going on. And for whatever reason, Jacob, Israel, not the best dad, let's be honest. He openly has a favorite. Um, he gives his son Joseph this coat of many colors. Now, I, I get it. Nowadays, you can get whatever you want, whatever color. You might notice my baby blue chargers shoes, okay? My son works at Vans. He brought them home and said, you must wear these. So, um, but in the, in the ancient world, like, to have clothes with color in them, it was like, you were a baller. I mean, it was expensive. It was more expensive than Trump's gold sneakers. Like, so, so Joseph is wearing this thing, and it's like a, Neener, neener to all the brothers. Like, I'm the best. I'm probably going to get the inheritance. I'm the one. I'm going to get the blessing. I'm going to get chosen. All, all that's going on, right? And Israel tells Joseph, hey, go bring a message to your brothers. They're out, they're out shepherding. So, so he goes out to them, and he had had this dream. He had a dream that one day they were all going to bow before him. And he's the youngest and not so wise at that point in his life. So he goes out to his brothers. He's wearing the coat, right? So right away, the brothers are all jealous, kind of pitting. And then he, he also told them about his dream about how they're going to um, all bow before him one day. How do you think that went for a younger brother to tell his older brothers that? Someday you're going to bow before me. 
Yeah. Um, so they plotted, right? And if it, if it were you, if, you're, if, if your younger sibling did that, you know, right? Pink belly. You might pin their arms down, do the spit thing over their face. Like. <laughs> well, the ancient world was far more violent place. And these, not all these brothers were fully blood related, and there was not a lot of love going on between them. And one of them has the idea, it says, let's just kill them. It's one less of us, one more for the inheritance, let's kill them. And then another says, ah, oh, we shouldn't kill them, that's evil, we, you know, I've, I've got a better idea. Instead of creating that great evil of killing them, let's just beat him to near death, and then we'll, we'll, do, we'll throw him in the cistern, we'll throw him in the earth. So they're like, fine, great idea. Joseph comes, they grab him, they, they beat him, they tear his clothes, they throw him in the cistern, and they're like, what are we going to do with him? He's going to tell dad. Some Ishmaelites, which would have been cousins of Abraham, or actually sons of Abraham, cousins of Jacob, they come by and they sell Joseph as a slave to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt, and he is sold into slavery as, as, as an uh, Egyptian slave. They go back, they tell their dad, oh my gosh, Joseph got eaten by a lion. We have his coat of many colors that you gave him that you didn't give us. There's blood all over it, sorry. And um, Israel thinks that his son is gone forever. Now, I've had a bad day before. But that's a bad day, isn't it? And um, what happens is Joseph goes from being in privilege to the pit. He ends up in prison. From prison, he becomes a prince. That's a lot of letter P's, huh? That's a lot of alliteration right there. I'm a good Baptist. <laughs> I got one more for you. And from it, we learn about the providence of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the providence of God. Um, some of you, you're going through it right now, right, in life. Um, Max Licato, one of the authors of the story, um, he, he's one of the more prolific authors actually in the last 50 years, Christian authors. He's writ, written about 100 books in the last 50 years. Brilliant, brilliant writer. He said this, and I love this. He said, he said this about the story of Joseph and about what we go through. He said, you'll get through this. Look at your neighbor right now and just say, you'll get through this. You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Some of you, that may be the only thing you need to hear today. That what you're in, you will get through it. So, if you have your outline and you're taking notes today, we're going to talk about providence. And uh, it's in the Clovis Hills app. If you open the Clovis Hills app, you can see it there. But also there's a Bible study to the story and the sermon every week that you can use there to do with your friends, your family. But number one is this, guys. I want to talk to you about providence. God's providence means that he sustains everything. God's providence. He sustains ev everything. Um, you know, the writer of Hebrews brilliantly 
says it this way, and I want you to understand what God's providence really means. It says, the Son, that's the Son of God, Jesus, he's talking about. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, so what the writer of Hebrews understood about God's providence is that, that God is sustaining everything in the universe. All things are sustained by him, right? If you think about the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, all of these things are sustained by God. Particle physicists are still in awe. They don't understand how the matter, the particles that make up our body don't just fall apart. Or when I put my hand on the Bible, why these particles stay solid and these particles stay solid and it doesn't just go right through. They, they don't understand that. They don't understand why all matter holds together fully. They can't give you the full reason for that, but they know it does. But it says in the book of Colossians, it says that in him, in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. That it's all being held together. It's all being sustained by him. The word sustained in the New Testament that the writer of Hebrews used. It's the same word that they used in the Gospels when uh, Jesus healed the paralytic man. Four of his friends brought the paralytic man to them on, on a cot. And the word they used as they carried him wasn't that they carried him. We translate it as carried. But the word was they sustained him to Jesus. They carried him to Christ. That God is carrying all of, these, all of these things. In the Hebrew, in the ancient Hebrew, the word is hashab. Everyone say hashab. If you have a cold, don't say that. Someone's going to be like, hashab. And the way the ancient Hebrews would have used this word is that they would have described it like it's been woven into. Something that's woven into, that here, here's what I want you to know, that God wants to weave you into his story. Most of us will spend our own lives trying to weave our own story, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. One day, you will weave your own story, and you will die, and it will be forgotten. But... If you will lay down your story and you will take up God's story, this is the theme of this book, and allow God to weave you into his story, he weaves himself into your story. The upper story becomes part of your lower story, and it's woven in, and it can't be extracted. So this is why Job, Job who also went through some tough times, and we've talked about that a couple months ago, he said this about God and how he sustains all things. He said, if we were, if it were his intention, he would withdrew his spirit and his breath. All humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. We'd be nothing but stardust. I want you to understand that the very breath you just took was a gift from your creator who wants to sustain you in a new life, and a new story. And I think of God's providence, what that means is that there's a bigger story than the moment I'm in right now. 
Can, can, I, can I tell you about how I didn't believe God's providence this week? How I, can, can I tell you about how I screwed up this week? <laughs> I'm gonna anyway, so. Um, so a couple weeks ago, found out I had a leak in my slab of my house. And I'm like, oh, and there's enough going on. I was having car problems. There's all kinds of problems going on in my house. Like, Sean was not happy. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to trust God. Like, okay, God, okay, you've got this. You've got this. I'm full of faith. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You know, I'm doing that thing. And then I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't know how it's going to work. So um, I end up calling my insurance. You know, because insurance companies are so, like, helpful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so I call them, and they're like, I'm like, yeah, yeah I've, I've never made a homeowner's claim in the 26 years I've been a homeowner, so... You know, help me through this. And they're like, oh, sure. So I make the claim. And then they call me this week. And they're like, hey, we want to talk to you about your claim. And I'm like, okay. They're like, yeah, we're not going to cover any of it. And I was like, <sighs> and then your pastor began to say things that pastors shouldn't say to human beings. <laughs> that I, you're not allowed to say in church. And I said to this person, I was like, listen, I know you don't. This is, you're just following policy and you're just the bearer of bad news, but you're the representative of this company and you're about to feel my wrath. So buckle up and I be, let it loose on them. Um, to the degree that when I hung up, I was convicted of my sin. I was like, ugh. And then I felt awful all day. And then, you know, the enemy is like, oh, and you're gonna teach on God's providence because you believe in it so much. So I got back on the phone, and I called that insurance adjuster, and I said, hey, um, my name's Sean. They're like, oh, I remember you. <laughs> I said, I, I called to apologize, because you didn't deserve that. Um, that's not the kind of person I want to be, and I became that person to you. And I'm really sorry, because that was wrong. Could you forgive me? And they're like, oh, it happens to us all the time. I go, I get it. <laughs> you paid to take my wrath. I go, but that still wasn't who I'm supposed to be. And I'm really sorry. And they were like, yeah, you're, you're forgiven. My friend Dan, he says, oh, yeah, I have that guy in me too. I call him Danny. <laughs> He's a real bleep. As I've gotten older, I've learned to chain him up. He, come, he came out a lot when I was younger, when I drank. You know, that was Danny, the old him. And Shawnee came out. <laughs> and here's what I would tell you, is it was in that moment I didn't believe God still had me. By the way, he did. The insurance didn't cover it, and we're going to figure it out, and it's okay. And you don't need to, like, give a special gift for Sean's floor, okay? <laughs> a friend, dear friend, put our house back together, all works, it's awesome. But listen, God's providence means he sustains you even through bad things, even through a bad season, years. Joseph, I don't know if you know the story of Joseph, once he got to Egypt as, as, a, as a slave, he, um, 
he was blessed by God and he kept his faith in God, even in the midst of being a slave. And he actually rose in the ranks of his slaves to this Egyptian ruler named Potiphar. And he ended up becoming the head of Potiphar's house. When Potiphar would go away on business, Joseph was in charge of the whole, the, the whole estate, the whole thing. He was over every, everyone. And the Bible says, ladies, that Joseph was fine, more fine than Pastor Dwayne Coleman, or than Pastor Dwayne thinks he is. Joseph was a good-looking man, the Bible says. It said he was about 5'8". Slight receding hairline. Gray in his beard. No, didn't say that. It just said he was good-looking. And it said that Potiphar, his master's wife, kept hitting on him. And eventually she grabbed him and she said, you're going to bed me right now. And he tore himself away and ran away. And she held onto his cloak as he ran off. And uh, when Potiphar came back, she was embarrassed and she accused him of raping her. And now Joseph goes from being a slave to prison. He's in prison for two years. While early on in prison, he interpreted this guy's dream. And the guy was getting out of prison. And the guy was like, I'm going to remember you, man. When I get out, I, I, I'm going to be working for the Pharaoh. I'll remember you. So Joseph had all this hope. And then the guy leaves and he rots in a prison for two years. Can you imagine some of the conversations Joseph must have had with God? He wasn't like, dear father, thank you for this prison. I love the gruel that you've given me and the hard floor that I sleep on. Bobo next to me beat me last night. Thank you for that. He wasn't doing that. I'm sure he had his moments where he's like, how could you do this to me? I am a great, great grandson of Abraham, the one you made a covenant with. We're supposed to be a people, but I'm here in this prison. But in all of that, Joseph kept his character. And eventually he's released from prison and he interprets the dream of, of Pharaoh. And before you know it, Joseph rises in Pharaoh's court to where he is now. He would have been like a vice prime minister, a vice president. He's over all of the food of Egypt. There's a famine in all of the Middle East at that time. And in the land of Canaan, where his old family was, Israel told his 12 sons or 10 of his 11 sons he thought he had left, he said, go down to Egypt and buy food. And guess who's in charge of the food? <sighs> right? Because that's what we, we would all do. So they come down to buy food and who's in charge of it? But Joseph, they don't recognize Joseph because Joseph's been in Egypt for years now. He's Egyptian. He looks Egyptian. He probably had the shaved head. He had the Egyptian garb on. He's speaking Egyptian. Um, he's, he's, you know, there's all these people serving him. You know, he's this man of power. They have no idea who he is, but they walk in and the Bible says that Joseph recognized them immediately. He also, they're speaking in Hebrew, in this paleo Hebrew, and um, he understands what they're saying, but he doesn't give it up. He's listening to their conversations and they're, they're scared because they're like, you know, this is what we get for selling Joseph into slavery. You know, this is terrible, you know, whole thing. And it says that when Joseph saw them, he was overcome with emotion, so overcome with emotion, he had to leave the room and he left the room and he began to weep. And here's what I, I want you to understand something about maturity. Someone who is mature, spiritually mature, emotionally mature, is it is okay to be angry, it is okay to be sad, it is okay to have all of those emotions, but what marks maturity is when you have control over your emotions and you don't let the emotions drive you to make evil decisions, unlike your pastor did to an insurance adjuster. I was not in charge of my emotions in that moment. 
And Joseph weeps, and he comes back in. And to make a long story short, because I only have so much time, they go back to the land of Canaan with the food. When they run out of that food, they come back with their father, Israel. And they're all there before Joseph. And that's when Joseph reveals to them who he is. I'm the one you sold into slavery. And that leads me to think of, you know, the times in my life where I was in despair and I just didn't think God was in charge because nothing was going well whatsoever. I think of when I was 18, 19 years old, my mom died of cancer. You know, on the outside, I pretended I was full of faith and I know she's in heaven. Behind the scenes, I'm just acting out and mad at God and sinning and doing whatever I want. Because in that moment, I wasn't trusting God's sovereignty. And I go through my life. I mean, it's, when you live in a house with Sweet Kelly Beatty, like, like you start realizing, like I figured out pretty quick um, when I had my incident with the insurance adjuster, it was just, I had PMS. <laughs> poor me syndrome. That's what's going on. I had poor me, like, oh Lord, I'm here like serving you at this church with all these crazy sinners and you know, and, and I'm living my life for you and I'm not, I'm not I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be as obedient as possible and then my car and then this and my house and my pet's heads are falling off and like, I, I, like all of a sudden I think it's all about me, you know, and then you live in a house with someone like sweet Kelly Beatty and she's like, yeah, I have a, a, a terminal brain tumor that was supposed to kill me five years ago, but you know, every day is a gift. It's like, shut up. <laughs> but That's because she's ridiculously in charge of her emotions. See, what you begin to understand when you're going through something awful is number two. It's not right away. Usually it's a little later. Number two is this. God's providence, he uses everything, even the bad things, even the bad things. I know there's some of you here today, people have done some awful things to you. It says in Ephesians 1, 1 through 12, it says this, it says, in him we were chosen, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out a few things, no, sorry, who works out most things, no, who works out everything, in conformity with the purpose of his will. And you may be saying, well, I don't like his will. Well, I get that. But could it be that you don't see all of it? You only see the moments you're in. And see, the words of Joseph at the, at the end of Genesis, his father Israel dies and his brothers are getting nervous now. They're like, now that dad's dead, Joseph, Joe could just kill us. He could just take us out. He's a powerful man. Um, you know, we know what we did to him, you know. And, you know, so it wasn't when he, you know, forgave them. Like, he was like, oh, it's okay. Come on in. Like, I'm sure he had boundaries still. I'm sure he had hurt still. 
I'm sure he had to keep forgiving them, right? But he just kept blessing them. He kept forgiving them. It's a process. Forgiveness is a process. It's not something you do overnight. Um, you can forgive someone and have that feeling 10 minutes later, and then you have to peel the onion. You have to forgive them again. But Joseph, in Genesis 50, 20, he tells them, he goes, am I in the place of God? And then he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives. I want you to think about that, that word intended, what you intended was for evil, right? Some of you, there have been people in your life that they intended evil upon your life. That person that touched you, that person that hurt you, some people are racist, that person that said, I do, but then never did the rest of that marriage, that person that said this, that stole that, that backstabbed you, they, what they intended was evil, but I want you to understand something about the providence of God, that when you are in the hands of God, when you become a child of God, is that what they intended for evil, what they wove, the evil they wove into your life, God will take that thread and weave something new. He won't take away that. Joseph will always have the trauma of the pit, the trauma of the prison, the trauma of, of, of all of that. But what he understood now toward the end of his life was a bigger picture, that all of that happened. And Joseph ended up being this guy that interpreted a dream that didn't just save Israel and his family. It saved the entire Middle East. Everyone, thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million people were rescued because of all that Joseph had to go through to get down there. And I, I, let's, let's be honest. Do you think if Joseph would have got like a letter from God going like, hey, I need you to leave um, your favorite status and just move to Egypt and be a slave for a little while and eventually you'll end up um, going to prison for it. And then, then you'll come out of prison and you'll be number two in Pharaoh's command. Trust me. Would he do it? I don't think he would have. I don't think you would. I don't think I would have. And here's what I would tell you. There are people in your life right now that occupy a space of hate in your heart. And some of you today, you have to make the long journey of letting them go and forgiving them. Doesn't mean you have to let them back in your life. You just have to forgive them. And when that feeling comes back, because it will, you forgive them again, and you forgive them again, and you forgive them. Before you know, that feeling of anger, hatred, resentment turns into pity. And if you keep forgiving them, sometimes it turns into love, because that's what happened to Joseph. And I tell you guys all the time, you're ridiculously in charge, but here's the thing. You can choose to clothe yourself the rest of your life with hurt. This happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. Or you can change your clothes and decide to clothe yourself with hope. That's the decision you have to make. See, you can live as a victim to your pain the rest of your life. Or you can trust in the providence of God that he has you in the midst of your pain and there's a greater story that he wants to tie to you. There's a guy named Horatio Spafford. We, we sang a song today. It's kind of a modern version of a, a hymn that he wrote years ago. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer, very successful lawyer in Chicago, um, sold his legal, legal firm, and uh, went into real estate investment. 
became very successful as a real estate investor, lost his whole fortune in the great fire of Chicago, the great Chicago fire, lost it all. Um, because of the great Chicago fire, it created health problems in him and his children. So the doctor suggested, why don't you move to Europe, go to Europe, go to a place where start over, where it's fresh, you've lost everything. So they decide they're going to move to England. Um, and right before they're all to get on the boat to go to England, he had one piece of property that didn't burn down, and he was selling that, and that was going to help him start his new life in England. And um, the person buying that died, and it fell out of escrow. And he had to put his wife and his four daughters on the boat and send them ahead to England. So they went ahead while he dealt with the business dealings here. While he was there, here, here in the States, waiting to get that wrapped up, he received a telegram. It was from his wife. It said the ship had crashed. It was just a few words. And then it said, all are lost. The ship had run into another ship. Most of the people on the boat died his wife lived, but his four daughters drowned to death. Here's a guy who's lost it all. And now he's really lost it all. His poor wife grieving in London by herself with no family, with no friends, with no one. He hops on the quickest boat he could get on, which like takes a long time to sail across to London. While he's sailing the Atlantic, he's woken up at night by the captain of the ship and the captain takes him to the bow of the ship and they had stopped the ship for him and they said, this is the spot, sir, where your daughter's drowned. And I'm sure he shed a bunch of tears and he prayed, prayed a prayer. They had a moment of silence on the boat. And he went back to his room and he wrote one of the most famous hymns of all time called, It Is Well With My Soul. If you go to Jerusalem, I'll take you to it. It's in a hotel. It's a, a, called the American Colony Hotel that he and his wife opened. You wouldn't even notice it. It's in this little picture frame. There's a, just a piece of paper on the wall with all this other great art, but it's just a little piece of paper. And it's actually the paper that was in his cabin where he wrote the words, it is well with my soul. I want to read you some of the lyrics to it, what he, what he, what he said. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrows like sea billows, right? He was on the ocean, like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'll read verse three to you. My sin, know oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord on my soul. Verse four, for me, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. Think about that. In the moment, you know he didn't want to live. He didn't want to be around. He didn't want life. But he remembered the words of Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, but for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If the Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine. For in death as in life, thou will whisper peace to my soul. Guys, when Joseph said what you intended for evil, 
God intended for good. I want you to know the story of Joseph is just a shadow of a greater story that's being told. It's, it's, it's an archetype of probably a story going on in your life. See, like Joseph, Jesus was told by his father to deliver a message to Israel, to his brothers. And like Joseph, Jesus was not received by his brothers very well. And like Joseph, Jesus was beaten and whipped and crucified and then put in the earth like Joseph, but Jesus put in the earth. See, Like Joseph, Joseph went to a foreign land, to foreign people, to the non-Jews, not the people of Israel, to, to, to the Gentiles, and he was received with diff- different measure to the Gentiles. But eventually he rose to a place of prominence among the Gentiles. And then Jesus, not received by his own people, was brought to the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And now there are 3.4 billion people that bend their knee today on this planet to the name of Jesus Christ. Like Joseph, what he went through ended up becoming something part of a greater story that saved maybe a million people's lives, maybe 10 million people's lives. But Jesus, what he went through, his perfect sin-free life, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, all of that was to save the lives of all humankind. The greater story was going on the whole time. This is the thread God's woven through it, and he's woven through your story. But you have to make that choice. See, you can allow your story to come and go, or you can allow yours to be part of God's. And the way you do that, the Bible says this in John 1.12. It says about Jesus, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. You have to receive Christ. When Jesus died for our sins, he offered himself to you. And you have to make that choice to receive him. See, because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that my sin, your sin has separated us from God. And Jesus came, like Joseph, to save you, to die the death you and I should have died for our sins, to pay the price what we should have paid for our sins. He paid it. And the Bible says that if you receive him, you're trusting that his life and his death paid that price. But you have to make that choice. As a matter of fact, um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus was talking to some Christians and he calls them to make a decision. Because you got to make a decision. You can hem and haw about God and put it off all you want, but indecision is a decision. And Jesus said to these Christians in uh, Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door, I knock. If you will open the door, I will come in, I will be with you, I will dine with you, I will have a relationship with you. I want you to think about that. The God of the universe stands at the door of your heart right now, begging you to have a relationship, that he loves you, he has a plan for your life, but he's left you in charge of whether you will invite him in or not. And it is a courageous decision to do that. 
In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity if you've never done that before. Or maybe you did it earlier in life, and somehow along the way, your cheese slid off your cracker. Like mine did this week with the insurance agent. Maybe today's a rededication to a previous decision, whatever it is. But if you've never received Christ and you sense him knocking, why would you ever turn down your creator, the God who loves you, the God who has a greater story for you in spite of whatever your story is today? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and if you've never received Christ before, I want to encourage you to do that. Let's just bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Wherever you're at, whatever.